following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. We've been looking at the fact that uh, there are qualities that a disciple manifests within the disciples' lives. And the first quality that a disciple manifests is that a disciple loves God. Second quality that a disciple manifests is that Disciple loves people. And how many of you were here at the baptism last week? Wasn't that awesome? Didn't you love that? And uh, one, one of the people getting baptized, he's a doctor. And, and I said to him, well, what, what have you learned? Um, what have you, how many of you remember that? And he says, well, it, it all boils down to two things. It's all about loving God and loving people. Well, I just wanted to do a dance on the stage at that point because I thought, my goodness, he's got it. It's just so, it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. Jesus came to teach us to passionately love God and to passionately love people. And so that's the summary of what a disciple does. So, so then just to stretch that out a little bit, how does that outwork? Well, a disciple also loves to live a godly lifestyle. It's about behavior. And, and, and my mother-in-law talked about the song, that, don't you love my mother-in-law? I've got the best mother-in-law in the whole wide world. Huh? I just, do you know, I was sitting there, Anne, and I was just thinking, we are just so blessed, you and I. I mean, with, with godly parents raised up in a godly home, on, on my side and on Anne's side, these two godly families and, uh, that have prayed for us before we were born and have prayed for us every single day of our lives. What an incredible blessing and privilege that is. Amen? Don't you love that? To be in a godly home and live this godly lifestyle and everything about you is, is godly because you love the things of God, so you behave in a godly life. So you, you, know, you know, one of the biggest criticisms that the world has about the church is not necessarily our theology, but our behavior. And how oft times our behavior and our theology are contradictory. And, and, and the thing that just challenges me was Gandhi's comment, his quote, that he said, I love you, Jesus. It's your Christians that I have difficulty with. They are so different to your Jesus. And that ought not be so. What ought to be is this, is that as disciples, we reflect Jesus. As disciples, we become like him. A disciple is a Christ follower. And so it's not just about believing, it's about becoming. So it starts with believing, but then it moves to becoming like Jesus. So I start with believing in Jesus, and then I move into becoming like Jesus. Well, then the fourth quality of a disciple is a disciple loves to share Jesus. You will always talk about what you love. And there's just this one thing that disciples love to do. They just love sharing Jesus. And it's not about Bible bashing. It's about an overflow. It's about just, just wanting to talk about what you love. So what you need to do is just contact Dion Spencer and find out what he loves because he's in love with this girl called Simone. And uh, when we married them yesterday, it was just so cute. I'm telling you, it was so cute. The guy won the jackpot. That's all I can say. And so when Simone's coming down the aisle, his eyes are just bulging, you know, because I set him up for it. I really said it. I said, listen, mate, you know, when, when you go through life, 
there are things that you will take to your deathbed, memories that you'll take to your deathbed. And I said, one of the memories that will stay with you forever is seeing your bride walk down the aisle. She's walking down the aisle as a single woman, but the next time she walks down that aisle, she'll be a married woman and she'll belong to you. So take it. And he's saying, yeah, I'm going to take all this in. I'm setting him right up. And he says, but what happens if I cry? I said, it's okay if you cry. Emotions are good in weddings. And so he's sitting there, he's, and he sees this, this most glorious picture, his bride walking down the aisle. He was so taken back when she came up. He's poking her to see if she's real. <laughs> she's t- he's touching, touching her. Is this, is this real or is it just a dream, you know? And, and, and so what was really funny is that we entered into worship, and so after the first song, he goes to kiss the bride. <laughs> Nobody told him he was allowed to kiss the bride yet. I mean, you've got to wait for that announcement. You are now husband and wife. Now you can kiss the bride. No, no. He's wanting so she's holding back saying, whoa, just hold on, buddy. It was so cute. I loved it. But you know, this is the thing is that, is that you're, when you're passionate and in love, you've got no issues about talking about it. You've got no issues about demonstrating it. You've got no issues about almost looking foolish. How much do you love Jesus? That's the question that that I need to ask you as a Christian. How much do you love him? Are you passionate about him? Because you will always talk about where your passion lies. And if you never talk about Jesus, can I just encourage you, fall in love with him afresh. Because some of you have just lost your first love. And some of you are newly in love, and that's awesome. And so you will talk about what you love. And it's always an evidence of where your love is, what you talk about. So what, that's what disciples do. They share Jesus. They talk about him. And last week I talked about the fifth quality of a disciple. A disciple just loves God's family. We just love being with God's family. We're connected with God's family. See, for us, church is not something that we attend. Church is something that we are. We are the church. We belong to each other. We're connected to each other. We're like my mother-in-law said, we're all parts of this big jigsaw puzzle that connects one with the other. We do life together. We support each other. We encourage each other. We're each other's fans. Even if you, if, 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 if you laugh with Pastor Chris and his wonderful, his, his wonderful attributes. Do you know what? Anne and I just love Chris and Carissa. We love the fun factor involved in it. I, the thing I love about Chris the most is that he laughs at my jokes. I mean, you just got to love people that laugh at your jokes. And, uh, and, so, and Chris laughs whether they're funny or not. And that makes him even more nice, I think. When someone laughs at your jokes, whether they're funny or not, and, uh, and, and just contributes, and it's part of the family. And so, so you know, I, I looked at the stage here today, and I said, yeah, there's my mother-in-law, she's part of my family. There's my wife, she's part of my family. There's Steve, he's part of my family. But there's Rachel as well. She's part of my family. She's my spiritual daughter. Huh? There's Carolyn, she's my spiritual daughter as well. And I looked across the stage and I saw all my spiritual sons and daughters and, and, uh, and, and, and it's just this incredible connection of, we love the family. How can we help you? How can we minister to you? How can we do life together? How can we support you? How can we pray for you? And so that's what we do. Out come the prayer cards. How can we pray for you? How can we support you? You know, we've got 
we've got this lady that every week writes out the same prayer card. You know, and she says, do you want me to stop writing? I says, absolutely not. You keep writing the prayer card because I and my team will keep praying for you until the answer comes through. She says, is that okay? Absolutely okay. We're a family. We stand with each other. Sometimes we've got to persevere together. Sometimes we've got to fight together. But we're family. We stick together and we do life together. We support each other. We are each other's greatest encouragers. Amen? Amen. Isn't that what loving God's family is all about? How many of you want to belong to a family like that? We We're not called to be dysfunctional. We're called to be loving. We're called to be caring. I love that about family. So belong. Don't cut yourself off because the enemy wants to cut you off from the family that supports you. The enemy wants you to feel isolated. The enemy wants you to get into a big pity party. But I'm telling you, you got to break through that and be connected and be a receiver and a giver in God's family. Amen? Number six. A disciple just loves God's kingdom. There's something about God's kingdom that a disciple loves. So let's, let's talk about this this morning. But first of all, let's read some scripture. Here it is, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Very famous passage of scripture. Why is that? Because this is the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. So the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus teaches them. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want us to stop there. Why is that? Because I want to focus on that scripture. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us if we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, that becomes a major part of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then, then uh, Jesus moves in to the rest of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, uh, and, and, and let me read this scripture in verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon was a word they understood back then. And basically what mammon was was the God of materialism. In other words, the God of things. So Jesus was saying, you can't have two passions in your life. You can't love God and love things or the God of things or the God of materialism at the same time. You either love one and hate the other. And so so where is your passion? Because then Jesus starts talking about what happens if your focus is on the God of things. Because if your focus is on the God of things, you'll want the things that the God of things represents. And so then he starts talking about what you eat and what you drink and what you wear and all the things that we're after and the passions of the things that you're after. And so he concludes this passage in verse 31, says, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly father knows what you need. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And then here it is, verse 33. I want to focus on this. But seek ye first... The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
will be added to you. So here's the blessing. You can either seek things and God is out of your life, or you can seek God and he'll provide the things. So you get God and the things. Too many people are focused the other way. They're seeking the things, turn their back on God, and even the things that they get will not satisfy. But when you get God, you not only get God, you get all the provision that comes with God. So Makes sense to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen? So this morning, I I just want to open this whole thing up for you. First of all, let me define the kingdom of God. Can I define it for you? Now, can I just press pause for a second? Because Matthew many times uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven in the Bible, kingdom of God, interchangeable terms. It means the same thing. Well, why did Matthew use kingdom of heaven? Well, he was writing to the Jews and sometimes using the word God, Yahweh, was very, very offensive to the Jews. And so so in order for Matthew not to create offense, many times he'd use the word heaven, which was much easier for them to sort of, it, it didn't jar them when they hear the word heaven. And so, but they're interchangeable terms. So if you ever find in the Bible, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, you think, well, they're two different things. No, they're the same thing, okay? So let me define what kingdom of God is. Kingdom of God, are you ready for this? Wherever God is king and his will is obeyed. So those two things have to come together. You can't have one or the other. It's got to be both. God is king and his will is obeyed. And I want, I want to focus in on the kingdom of God and obedience to his will. Because when Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, this is the way he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. What's the next part? Thy will be done. There's this connection between the will of God and the kingdom of God. So wherever the will of God is done and God is elevated as king is the kingdom of God. Can I just say to you that too many people have tried to interpret the kingdom of God as a physical place. So the Pharisees and and even back in Old Testament Theology And even the disciples for a long, long time thought that the kingdom of God was a physical place. And so when they came to Jesus and they said, okay, when's the establishment of the kingdom? Jesus tried to explain to them that the kingdom of God was not necessarily a physical place, but a spiritual place. So the kingdom of God is more so an attitude than a place. And can I just say to those of you that are trying to find the will of God for your lives, it's the same thing. The will of God is more an attitude than a place. So many people are wondering, am I in the right place? Am I in the right place? The question you need to ask is, do I have the right attitude? Because if you have the right attitude and the attitude is, God, not my will, but your will be done. As soon as you adopt that attitude, You're in the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, the kingdom of God is within you. It's an attitude. It's it's a spiritual mindset of, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So kingdom people only ask one question, and that is, God, is this your will? And if you're not a kingdom person, 
you'll always be confused. You'll always be, someone give me advice. What do you think I should do? Well, maybe I should do this. And somebody then will guide you and say, well, what do you want to do? And what's good for you? And what will be the best for you? And so that you get sidetracked into all sorts of wrong decisions. But if you come to every decision and you say, Lord, as a kingdom person, I have died to me. I'm living to you. What is your will? What do you want me to do? You speak to me because I believe that the paths of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Once you're in that place of submission to his will, I'm going to tell you that God will guide you. God will lead you. God will take you to the right place. But it's got to come from the foundation that says God's will is the best life that I can live. If you don't understand that, then you're always choosing what's best for me. What's best for me. Do you know what? For some people, it just comes naturally. For other people, they struggle with that all their lives. Anne and I, when we started our married life together nearly 33 years ago, made a decision that before we made any decision, we'd say, God, would you show us what you want us to do? And even yesterday, we're in the car praying about a project in front of us. And that's exactly what we prayed. Lord, if this is your will, you just open the doors. You make it clear. You put your peace in our heart because we don't want to step into any territory which is out of your will. And you know what? Over the years, what we've discovered is that that sometimes we've taken it upon ourselves and we've made decisions that weren't according to God's will and it's always fallen over. But decisions that were made in God have always come to fruition. Come on, would you just get hold of this? I'm loving you so much that I'm giving you this message. It's a message of love. It's a message of compassion. It's a message that says, this will bless you if you grab hold of it. It's kingdom thinking. It's kingdom attitude. Can I just say to you, secondly, is that this was the main message of Jesus, the kingdom of God. It was the main message of Jesus. When Jesus arrived on the scene, Mark tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That word gospel means the good news of the kingdom of God. So that was the main message of Jesus. He came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Matthew chapter 5 starts off with this sermon called the Beatitudes, but it's all part of the sermon that Jesus preached on the mount that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Incredible teaching, amazing teaching, but it's all about the kingdom of heaven. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about this is how heaven works. This is the culture of heaven. Simple definition of culture. Are you ready for it? Simple definition of culture. The way we do things around here. That's culture. So Jesus came to share, this is the culture of heaven. I'm I'm bringing, I'm I'm fresh from heaven and I've come to tell you the way that we do things in heaven and I want you to do them here as it's done in heaven. And you know, for a lot of people, it's just mind-blowing because they're used to a worldly culture rather than a heavenly culture. And Jesus came to show us 
a heavenly culture. This is the way we do things in heaven. And it just blows people away. Why? Because heaven's culture is all about, God, what do you want me to do? Every angel, every being, every living creature in heaven is 100% submitted to the will and purposes of God. God, you're the king. What do you want me to do? That's the culture of heaven. Even Jesus, when he came here, do you know what he said? He said, I do nothing of my own volition. Everything that I do is according to what the Father says. Completely submitted to the will of God. See, people that are kingdom people have died to self and are living to the purposes of God. Now, I know that that's not easy for us if we've been enculturalized with worldly thinking. And I know that in this world today, there's just this constant flow of, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about nature. It's all about humanism. It's all about everything except for God. But come to this church and you're going to say, hey, listen, this is what the deal is. It's all about God. It's all about putting him first. It's all about following after him and his will. Because if you want to maximize your life, this is the best way to do it. Can I share with you this morning that Jesus came to teach two important things. When he taught about the kingdom of God, the two important things that he taught was how to bring heaven to earth and how to prepare us to live in heaven. So all that he taught about the kingdom of God was how to bring heaven to earth. And I want to say to you that when you absorb the teachings of Jesus on the kingdom, then you bring heaven to earth. You, you, you find the peace. You find the joy. I'm telling you, it works. Anne and I have established these principles in our family, in our lives, right from the beginning, and it works. We're still passionately in love after 33 years. Why is that? Because we operate under kingdom principles in our home. We operate under the, under the principle of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We operate under the principle of loving God and loving each other, caring for each other, giving to each other, being generous, sacrificing for each other, uh, getting out of the comfort zone about, well, well, what can you do for me? And asking the question, what can I do for you? How can I be a blessing to you? What do I need to do? Come on, let me tell you something. Husbands and wives, can I talk a bit of family relationship here? Big question to ask. If you really want to create an environment of peace in your home, here's a great question for you to ask. Are you ready for it? Write it down. It's not even in my notes. It's just coming by the Holy Spirit. What can I do to make it better? What can I do to make it better? And then just keep your mouth shut and listen to what the other person says you can do to make it better. What can I do to make this better? And just, and just by listening, then you're able to feed back and say, you know what, this I'm finding, I can do this. This is really easy to do. This, this is really hard for me to do. Let's talk about what it will take for me to do this. This I can do, no problems at all. This, this is a bit harder. And I'm going to be honest, this is harder for me to do. Let's talk about this. But you know what? When you're talking and there's, there's something going backwards and forwards with this real spirit that says, I want peace. I want harmony. I want love in my home. What can I do to add to that? 
then the kingdom of God has come into your home because the kingdom of God is all about coming to serve. Jesus said, I did not come but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So the whole culture of heaven is, what can I do? Come on. I'm preaching better than you're responding. (laughs) I know that you're sitting on the edge of your seat going... He's preaching to me. This is all about me this morning. It is about you. And it's about you coming into the kingdom. And it's about you becoming kingdom people with kingdom mindsets and, and, and just being cleansed from all the worldly stuff that you've been bombarded with. Every time you turn on that flipping television, every time you pick up a newspaper, every time you watch a movie, you are being bombarded by worldly culture. I'm telling you now, you are being bombarded by worldly culture. And so I've only got 20, 30 minutes a week to try to input into your godly culture. I've only got this, and, and with some people, I'm fighting against the tide here, but I'm believing for you because you're so open to the word of God. You're saying, I, I love this. This is what I want. I want to be a kingdom person operating in kingdom culture, giving and serving. And I'm telling you, if husbands and wives can both adopt that attitude, how can you have a problem of, of, of fighting each other when you're so busy serving each other? Can I say to you, that, that not everybody loves a master, but everybody loves a servant. So become a servant and you'll always be loved. Amen? People with a godly heart love this. People with an ungodly heart fighting this. So if you love this message, you've got a godly heart. If you're fighting this message and, and, and you're trying to, to, to think of arguments to argue me down, I just say, come on, get your heart right with God. Because when your heart becomes right with God, you're going to love this message. How many of you love this message? After, that's really setting you up, isn't it? After that sort of intro, you're really set up. You say, man, this is the message I need to hear. Because it's about me and my response rather than, all. Oh, it's all about the other person and how they should be responding. Come on, understand this. You, can't, you cannot change how someone is going to respond to you but you can change how you respond to someone else. So the message is not about, about well, well, my husband needs to hear this. My wife needs to hear this. My kids need to hear this. No, no, you need to hear it. And let God deal with them. Okay? Third point I want to make is the essence of loving God's kingdom. The essence of loving God's kingdom. Loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is what this this is the essence of the kingdom, is God first. It's 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 the whole business of God first, Mark 12, 30. It's about God's first. And when and when you put God first, it's really easy to seek the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because you're seeking the will of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That word righteousness is also interpreted and his will because God's will is righteousness. The definition for righteousness is what God considers right. And what God considers right is his will. Now, what happens is this, is that the world has its own right values and you are being indoctrinated by the world's right values. But I, I, I don't care what the world says is right values. I always take it back to the word of God. This, and this is my filter of what is right. What does God say about this? 
Not what does the world say about this, because at the moment, the world is trying to brainwash us into saying, oh, yeah, but this is, this is being compassionate, and this is being gracious, and this is being loving, and this is being kind. Yeah, but they don't come from an understanding that there are certain things that are offensive to God. There are certain things that God has placed in his word that says this is sin. The world doesn't come from that perspective. Now, the, 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 world, the world's perspective is the only wrong thing is, does it hurt somebody? And so if it doesn't hurt anybody, it's not sin. Whereas God says, does it offend me? Because if it offends me, it's sin. So the question that we ask is not, well, is anybody being hurt by this particular behavior? I don't ask that question. My question is, what does God say about this particular behavior? What does the Word of God say about this particular behavior? Because that's where my filter is. I'm a God person. I'm a God lover. I'm a kingdom man. I'm a kingdom person. It's God, what do you say about this? Because my decisions are not based on the brainwashing of the world, but the, the, the revelations of God in His Word. And then that will answer a lot of questions about some of the issues that we're facing today with abortion and homosexuality and the whole nine yards of all the different issues that we are facing today. What does the Word of God say about it? Because there's got to be some standard. There's got to be some point that you go to to say this is the standard. Because the world will always change its standards. And when you listen to the world, every few years, the goalposts change. But when you look at God's word, heaven and earth will pass away before one word from here will fall short. Come on, are you getting this? So kingdom people, kingdom people, we say, God, what is your will? We love you. We love your will. We're seeking first the kingdom of God. We're seeking first the righteousness of God. I don't care what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their home. It's what does God say? That's the most important thing. Okay, let's move on. Woo, you weren't expecting that. Neither was I, incidentally. That wasn't even in my notes. It's like, I get into trouble over it, but you know what? I don't care. So then the essence of loving God's kingdom brings us to the challenge of God and mammon. God and mammon. The God... Creator of the universe or the God of things. And I, and I really believe that, that one of the biggest forces of idolatry in Australia is mammon. It's the God of things. I, I'm telling you, are we really satisfied with what we have or are we pursuing the next thing? Because there'll always be a new thing. And the new thing will make you dissatisfied with the old thing. And that's the way that idolatry works. It keeps you on this leash and it keeps pulling you in with this hope and expectation that the new thing will finally satisfy. Why? Because the old thing stopped satisfying me. And now I need the new thing to satisfy me. And so you're on this constant treadmill of, when I get the next thing, then I'll be really happy. And you've got to be parents, be careful with your kids that then I get onto that treadmill of the latest thing because it's, it's worldly thinking. It's mammon. It's the God of this world. It's the latest thing. And, and, and I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. 
It is unbelievable how we can get used to things. How many of you got an iPhone? 20 years ago, if someone even prophesied about an iPhone, I'd have said, nah, that's impossible. What an iPhone does is like, it's, it's unbelievable. Like Anne pulled her iPhone out and took that picture of Chris that she showed you this morning. But 20 years ago, for someone to say that you could take a photo like that on your phone, not only that, but you can check your emails, you can, you can respond on your emails, you can check the web. You can, I mean, the World Wide Web 30 years ago was considered just out of this world. And yet we got an iPhone. But you know what? When you get the iPhone... You sort of say, well, that's, is that an iPhone 3 or an iPhone 4 or an iPhone 4S or an iPhone 5? Because if you haven't got a 5, forget the 4s, and 4S is minimum, and, and, and it's like another thing. And you know what? Pretty soon there'll be an iPhone 6, and the 5 will be considered, you know, rubbish. And, and we've just got to be so careful that we don't get sucked into that. Now, I'm not saying for you not to have the latest stuff. I'm not saying that. But don't make it your priority. Don't make it your goal in life. Because this is what God says. If you seek me, I'll provide the things. But make sure that your focus is not the things, but me. And, and so can I just say to you, just to finish off, I'm, I'm just about to finish, is that sometimes we can even make godly things idols. You say, what? Yeah. How many of you think healing is a good thing? I think healing is a good thing. But you know what? Healing can become another thing. Because we can pursue healing more than the healer. We can make healing the focus of our attention instead of the healer the focus of our attention. Do you know, again, salvation is exactly the same. I mean, so how many believe salvation is a good thing? Of course it is. But so often we can make salvation the primary thing rather than the saviour. Can I just say to you that if you pursue the healer, you'll get healing. If you pursue the saviour, you'll get salvation. If you pursue the provider, you'll get provision. If you pursue the deliverer, you'll get deliverance. So make sure that your goal is not the thing, but the God who is the God of all, the God of all provision. Look into his face. Seek after his face. And that which is in his hands will come your way. But don't get so focused on what's in his hands that you forget to gaze on his face because the kingdom of God is all about seeking him, obeying him, focusing on him. It's loving God, loving his will, being passionate about him. You say, okay, John, I've heard all of that. Last question. Good, because you've only got time for one more question. How do I enter the kingdom of God? I'm so glad you saved that question till the end. Because it's so simple. How do you enter the kingdom of God? Well, it starts off with the revelation. The revelation is the work of the Holy Spirit working within you. Where this thing starts to make sense. How many of you know that for some people, what I've said today just goes straight over the top 
It does not make sense. But some people, it's like, this makes sense. If there's a God that created the universe, then he's the all-powerful one, and what he wants is what I want to do. This makes sense. Awesome. Because if you've got that revelation, God's drawing you. God's drawing you. So what do I need to do next? Oh, see, God draws you to a point of decision. Because we've got free will. And so we get to this, we get to this point where God says, now it's your choice. You've got the revelation. I've given you the revelation. Now it's your choice. Will you accept me or reject me? Will you say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus? Because you cannot enter the kingdom of God any other way but through Jesus. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the door, Jesus said. I'm the doorway. And so what have you got to do to say yes to Jesus? Oh, it's as simple as ABC. You say, as simple as ABC? Yeah, A for admitting that you've broken God's laws. A to admit that in the way that you've done life, you have not always obeyed him. Now, that's not difficult to admit that you haven't always obeyed God. I can put up my hand and say, I put up both hands. I can I'll put up one leg. If I could put up the other leg, I'd do that as well. There have been plenty of times where I have not obeyed God's will. Is there anybody else on my team there? But you know what? That's God's first step. Admit. Admit that you've sinned. Admit that you have not always... And so if you can do that, then that's the first thing you need to do. What's the second thing you need to do? B is to believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your law-breaking, for your sins, for all that you've done to offend God. Can you believe that? Can you believe that when Jesus came to this planet, he died upon the cross? He didn't die because he was a bad man. He died for you and for me. How awesome is that, Maggie? He died for you. He died for me. He paid the penalty for all of my, not for some of my sins, but for all of my sins, for all of my law breaking, for all the things that I've done wrong, for all of my mistakes. Jesus paid that penalty. Can you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died, but on the third day he rose from the dead to prove that everything he said was right? Do you believe that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive? Do you believe that? I believe that. Does anybody else believe that? Well, if you can admit that you've sinned, you can believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, then all you've got to do is see, last thing, and that's confess. Confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Confess that as far as you're concerned from this day forward, you're just going to follow him. And I love this because for me, it just boils down to if Jesus was willing to die for me, I'm willing to live for him. And just making this decision, I'm not wanting this just as a theology that I keep in a little book somewhere. For me, this is a lifestyle. For me, this is a life changer. This is a game changer. I'm following Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. I'm a God lover. I'm a God follower. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. He wasn't ashamed of me when he died upon the cross. I'm not going to be ashamed of him to live for him and to confess him as my Lord and Savior and to say to the universe, 
us to say to every single demon in hell, I'm a child of God. I'm a God follower. I've been washed and cleansed and set aside to follow after him. How awesome is that? He said, that's what I got to do to enter the kingdom. Yeah, it's as simple as admitting you've sinned, believing that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, and confessing him as your Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you, if you can do that, your name will be written in the book of heaven. You'll be called a citizen of heaven. The kingdom of God is yours. You'll be able to live life filled with God's love. Something will happen on the inside. Those sins will be removed from you. The Holy Spirit will come inside of you. You will be revolutionized. There'll be an explosion of God's power in your life. Satan's power will be broken off you. And God's power will be released upon you. Call me fanatical. Call me crazy. But I cannot help myself but get excited about the gospel and the message of salvation and its power to transform humanity. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to all those who believe. Is there anybody else like me? If you are, come on, let's give the Lord a great big hand of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 